Good morning, friends. So glad to see you all here today. Let me talk about this indescribable gift that we've been looking at here the past few weeks. 2 Corinthians 9.15 is kind of our theme verse for this season. Uh, you may think to yourself, why in the world is it in the middle of a, of a giving section, right? Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to give toward uh, the support of the, of the Christians in, in Jerusalem. But in the middle of that, at the end he says, actually at the end, yeah, at 2 Corinthians 9.15, he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so we've been talking about the indescribable gift of Christmas, and that's not something that you can wrap with wrapping paper or put a bow on or send or receive through Amazon. It's something that's received in Jesus Christ. So we're going to be talking about that. What we, just, we heard from the, the scriptures reading uh, from Pastor Tim Volstrom in the song that we just heard, Mary was the first one to carry the gospel. Mary was the first one to carry that indescribable gift. And we'll be taking a look at, at Mary and, and how do we understand Mary this morning. There's so many different thoughts and ideas and doctrines and teachings about Mary. What does the scripture have to say to us? Because this message is the key to the text that we saw. However, it was delivered to a virgin girl. Luke wanted us to understand the significance of Mary receiving this message and and why she was highly favored. Before we get into the text, let's bow in a word of prayer and ask for God's help for His illumination upon our minds and hearts. Father in heaven, we thank You so much for this news that brings joy. That we can be a happy, joyful people regardless of the darkness around us because we've seen the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank You so much for Your word today. But Father, we understand that if you don't do a work in us and, and for us and in us, we'll still be blind. And so we're asking, please, through the spirit that you've given to us, would you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things, glorious things out of your law today. We trust that you'll do that for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And thank you, Pastor Tim, for reading for us Luke 1, 26 to 56. I love when we read large sections of Scripture. We don't do that often, and I love it when we do. But, but what we have here is, is called the event in church history of the Annunciation. Annunciation, not enunciation, not you're pronouncing it correctly, but an announcement. An announcement of an angel to a virgin girl. And what we see here is that this angel is, first of all, named Gabriel. So we have several characters. We're not going to look at Elizabeth too much, though. Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. But we're going to look at Gabriel delivering or announcing this good news message to Mary. Why did God choose Mary? Why did God choose Mary? Well, first of all, he chose her. And he delivered this message through the angel Gabriel. Now, angel uh, Gabriel is described as one who stands in the presence of God. And, and we see that in chapter 1, uh, verse 19 of Luke. Uh, Gabriel appears before John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. And he says, I'm one who stands in the presence of God. Uh, Gabriel delivered uh, good news to Zechariah. And then we also see to Mary in the text that we read this morning. And we, he also appears in visions uh, to give revelation to the prophets. Uh, specifically Daniel. 
In Daniel chapter 7 through 10, we see that it's the angel Gabriel who's delivering a message there to him as well. And very possibly, Gabriel is the same angel who also appears in Acts 5, Acts 8, and Acts 12. Why is that important? Well, I just want you to understand that Gabriel is really kind of like God's mailman. Right? God didn't send a message to Mary through an email or a text or a letter. He sent an angel. And he sent an angel to show that I was in the presence of God, and now I hear am I to you, Mary, and I'm delivering God's message to you. So that's Gabriel. Well, what about Mary? What do we know about this, this girl? Well, we think we know that she probably was in her mid to late teens. We know that she was Jewish. We know that she was a virgin, although that she was betrothed, much like an engagement to Joseph. And in the minds of the Jewish people at that time, an engagement's as good as, as, as done. Although the marriage was never consummated and it wasn't made official yet, she was betrothed to Joseph. But the Gospels of Luke and Matthew especially speak to us and, and show us some things about Mary. And here are some of the things that we know from the Scriptures, the authoritative Word of God about Mary. First of all, we know that Mary was a virgin, or also known as a young woman. And in Isaiah chapter 7, it says there's a prophecy made uh, to the Israelites from God because they're living in darkness. And he says, But the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, it had a specific application in that time for the people of Israel in the 8th century B.C., so 800 years before this time when Gabriel appears to Mary. But there's a special, a special understanding that Matthew and Luke have to say, this is being spoken of, and they understand this, this is to be Mary. She is a virgin, and she's the one who brings forth this Emmanuel. Uh, they specify, Matthew and Luke do, that Mary and Joseph were Jesus' parents and that they were betrothed but not living together yet. Uh, they list Jesus as a descendant of David through Mary biologically and through Joseph through inheritance. Uh, they record an angel announcing Mary's pregnancy, and that's what we're looking at this morning, the Annunciation of Gabriel to Mary. Luke and Matthew also record that Mary became pregnant through divine conception. Divine conception without Joseph's involvement. In just a few moments, we'll look at what's the significance of this virgin conception. We call it the virgin birth. It's really a virgin conception. Uh, Luke and Matthew explicitly mention the Holy Spirit's role in the conception of Jesus. We see that there in verse 35 of our text this morning. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Holy, uh, most, uh, excuse me, most High will overshadow you. Matthew and Luke record that uh, God called for the baby to be named Jesus, which means Savior. Uh, they specify that Jesus is that Savior. They record that Joseph assisted Mary prior to Jesus' birth. We see that Joseph, once he gets that revelation in, in Matthew chapter 1, he says, Okay, I understand now. She's not been cheating on me. This is from God. I'm going to take care of her. And so Joseph cares for her. We, uh, they record that Mary gave birth to Jesus during the time of Herod the Great, the ruler there of that time. They record that Jesus uh, was born to Mary in Bethlehem of Judah. Of course, we know that. We sing about that all the time. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And they record that Jesus grew up in Nazareth. So this is what we know about Mary's influence on Jesus as his mother and also this virgin conception and, and Jesus' birth. Mark says that 
Uh, Mary is referred to as Jesus' mother. Uh, but let's talk a moment about the significance of the virgin birth, or the virgin conception. Again, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says that, Therefore the Lord himself will give you, Israel, a sign. Here's the sign that God is sending his deliverance for you. Here's a sign that he's sending light into the darkness, and it's this. The Lord will give you a sign. The virgin, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. What's the significance, though, of the fact that Mary was a virgin? She had never been with a man, including Joseph, her betrothed, when she conceived of Jesus. Well, first of all, the significance of the virgin conception and virgin birth is that Mary's child is truly human. He's truly, truly human. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, could have come down in like a theophany or an appearance of God there in spirit and walked among us. But the significance of the virgin conception and the birth of Christ through Mary is that he is truly man, truly God in the flesh, truly one who could die a human death as the sacrifice for our sins. And it's so significant that John says in 1 John that if you do not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, you are not truly a child of God. This is important for us to understand. And so the first significance is that she really was born, he, excuse me, Jesus was really born of Mary. Truly, truly human. Well, it also signifies that this is God's initiative in salvation. You see, if Mary and Joseph had come together and conceived of this child, you'd think, well, this is just a normal child. It's just a, a man and a woman coming together to conceive a child. That happens all the time. But the fact that the Spirit comes and overshadows Mary so that this child is conceived without the instrument of a human father shows that it's God taking the initiative. God coming to humanity. God coming and saying, I want to reconcile humanity to myself. They've sinned against me, but I'm taking the first step. I will come to a virgin and she shall conceive so that this child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Well, thirdly, the significance of this virgin conception is this. This child, while is a new babe, is not a new person. This child was a new babe, but he was not a new person. You see, what we believe according to the scriptures is that there was this little baby that Mary held, a, a new child. But what, what was special about this child was that it's not just a human child like you or I, or I was, but that this child is God in the flesh. This child is, is a person that, that existed before time, that existed before the earth and the universe created. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says of this word who became flesh, this, this Jesus, this Son of God, is that through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. He is the Lord, very God himself. So what's significant about this virgin birth is that while it may be a new child, a new human body, a new human, a new man, it's not a new person. It's just God in the flesh. And you may be asking yourself right now, 
how in the world can that be? Friend, that is the beauty and the profundity and the mystery of what we celebrate at Christmas time. That God put on human flesh for you and for me to save every single one of us. So we've looked at Mary. What does the scripture say about Mary? What does the scripture say about this virgin conception and this virgin birth? But that's not the end of the story, unfortunately. We should be able to take what God teaches us about such things from the scripture and say, the scriptures are our supreme authority and we're going to believe it and obey it. But there's some other doctrines that have developed throughout church history about Mary uh, that have developed over time. They didn't just spring out of midair, but they were, they were kind of the responses of some heresies that were flying around, some false doctrines that were flying around in the early church. And so in response to that, people were trying to think through things, and they started to invent doctrines that didn't align with the Scriptures. And the sad part about that is that throughout church history, there have been moments where the church has elevated doctrines that they come up with at the same authority of Scripture. And we see that today in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what I want to say to you is this, is that we love those in the Roman Catholic Church. We want to show charity, kindness, compassion to them. But we also have to put our feet in the ground and say, if they teach doctrine, if there is doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church that conflicts with the authority of the Scriptures, we must take our stand and say, we cannot accept those doctrines. Well, what are some of those things with all patience and with all charity, that we want to understand about the Catholic doctrine about Mary. Here are some things that we need to receive, and before we to judgment, let's receive it, let's think about it, and let's understand what's trying to be said and then evaluate it with the Scriptures. Can we do that? So this comes straight from the Vatican itself. I went to their website and tried to get it straight from the horse's mouth, right? So forgive me, and you can feel free to walk up to me, and we can talk about this if I, if I misrepresent anything. I do not want to do that. But Roman Catholic doctrine on Mary. So much of this doctrine influences what we understand about Mary today. And as Protestants, now to help you understand that too, Protestants, we, we've, we've split from the Roman Catholic Church about 500 years ago. So this type of church is a Protestant church, the result of that split uh, of those two groups of people. And so uh, what we're trying to say here is what do we believe and what do Roman Catholics believe so that we can understand where there is either unity or disunity between those two uh, belief systems. Well, first of all, the Roman Catholic doctrine on Mary is this, is that union with Christ is in not only in being his biological mother, but there's union with Christ in his suffering. Now listen to this. Enduring with her only begotten son the intensity of his suffering, joining herself with his sacrifice in her mother's heart. So what's being said there is that there's a unity in her suffering as she watches Jesus on the cross. There's a continued unity in her suffering. She's suffering in her heart and she's joining herself with his sacrifice. This is interesting. I don't know the full implications of that, but it's, it's there. They also believe, Roman Catholic doctrine teaches that, uh, they, they teach the immaculate conception. So not that just that Jesus was was conceived of a virgin and that Jesus, the scripture is clear about that, that Jesus is without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 and other verses teach that Jesus is without sin. They also believe in the immaculate conception, meaning that Mary was without original sin. There was no stain of sin in her as well. That's the immaculate conception. 
Not only that, they believe in a doctrine called the assumption, meaning that there was no death, but that Mary was assumed to heaven. And I don't fully understand all of what that means, but she didn't die. Uh, the Immaculate Virgin preserved free from all stain of original sin, they say, uh, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory. So she was assumed to heaven, and there, when she got there, was exalted by the Lord, listen to this, as queen over all things, so that she might be more, the more fully conformed to her son, the Lord of lords and conqueror of sin and death. The assumption of the blessed virgin is a singular participation in the son's resurrection in anticipation of the resurrection of other Christians. So the idea here is that she never died but was assumed body and soul to heaven and there she was declared as queen over all things. Uh, it goes on to say, in giving birth, you, speaking about Mary, you kept your virginity. So she was perpetually a virgin. Uh, in your dormition, you did not leave the world Oh, mother of God. Now, where did that come from? Well, early on in the, in the history of the church, there were all kinds of uh, uh, false teachers that were coming out and trying to teach uh, doctrines that did not accord with the scriptures, challenging uh, the fact that Jesus is truly God and truly man. And so to preserve the deity of Christ, they said that Mary, therefore, must be the mother of God. It's a title that they've bestowed upon her. It says of Mary, you conceived the living God and by your prayers will deliver our souls from death. By her prayers, the perpetual virgin, the mother of God, the queen over all things, she will deliver our souls from death by her prayers. She's called preeminent and the holy, unique member of the church. She's got a status higher than anybody in the church, higher than the Pope himself. She has a wholly unique status in the church. She's called our mother in the order of grace. In a wholly singular way, she cooperated. Now listen to this. She cooperated as in she operated or worked alongside of Christ in her obedience, faith, and hope, and burning charity in the Savior's work of restoring supernatural life to souls. So there's actually a cooperation of Mary along with Christ to secure our redemption and to save us. Goes on to say, by her manifold intercession, meaning her prayers, she continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation is brought through the agency of Mary's prayers. Related to this statement that we read this morning where she says, all generations will call me blessed, it says the church's devotion, and in response to all these beliefs that they have about Mary, the church's devotion to the blessed uh, virgin is intrinsic, meaning that it's vital, it's important, it's at, the, it's at the center of all Christian worship. The church rightly honors the blessed virgin with special devotion. From the most ancient times, the blessed virgin has been honored with the title of Mother of God, to whose protection the faithful fly in all their dangers and needs. This is a very special devotion. And, and you see that reflected in the, in the rosary prayer. And some of you have come from a Roman Catholic background, and maybe some of you still are here visiting with a friend here to this church today. Please, our desire here today is not to attack you or to bring any kind of charges against you or judgment on you. We're just examining what is the doctrine that the Roman Catholic Church 
And what does the scripture have to say about Mary? And I think this is appropriate to get this conversation out there instead of just kind of hiding from it, right? So there's some major things then we see from this, this Catholic doctrine is that uh, Mary was free from sin. She was kept perpetually a virgin. She never died. She's given the title the mother of God. She's given the title of the uh, uh, queen over all things. She uh, participates and cooperates with Christ to secure our salvation and to continue to pray for us. Uh, what do we say to these things from the scriptures? And this is Valley Bible Church. Amen? That uh, these doctrines, we don't have to ask, well, how are we going to know the answers to that? We can go to God's word. Breathed out through the prophets, given to us, and scripturated here on these pages, and we could say, Thus saith the Lord. And so uh, let's take a look at the scriptures. So, first of all, in, uh, in, regarding Mary's sinless list, uh, we know that, that it specifically says throughout the scriptures that Christ was sinless. Hebrews says that about his priestly work. He's without sin, he's a high priest that doesn't need to offer sacrifices for himself because he's sinless. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he's without sin. Uh, but Romans 3.23 is clear. It says this. All, all of humanity, except for those texts that show us Christ's sinlessness, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So taking the scriptures, I, I believe it's safe to say that all includes Mary. Mary's a sinner just like you are and just like I am. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages or the penalty that we deserve because of our sin is death. So therefore, there's no scriptural basis to think that Mary was assumed to heaven. Although we don't get the record of Mary's death in the scriptures, there's no reason to think that she was assumed to heaven. It's most reasonable to believe that she died just like anyone else and is in need of resurrection just like any of us. Well, what about Mary cooperating or participating with Christ to secure our salvation and to pray for us for our eternal life? Well, 1 Timothy 2.5 couldn't be clear about this subject. It says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and mankind. Who's that? The man, Christ Jesus. There's only one that could touch heaven and touch earth for us so that we could ever have a relationship with God again, and that's the man, Jesus Christ, alone. Alone. One God, one mediator. Mary cannot fulfill that for us. The apostles can't fulfill that for us. The saints can't fulfill that for us. Your parents can't fulfill that for you. If you want access to God, there's only one way, one name under heaven by which we must be saved. And as for this title, Mother of God, Queen of All Things, there's only several times Mary is mentioned uh, with a title, and that's the Mother of Jesus or the Mother of our Lord. Amen. That's Jesus Christ himself. And so uh, she's never called the Mother of God anywhere in Scripture. And so when we examine Scripture and we examine the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, we have to say we reject these doctrines. And I think sometimes, though, is that around this time of year, because there is such an importance placed on Mary, rightly so. We read that from Luke chapter 1 of this annunciation, of this declaration to Mary of, 
of what's going to happen, and we sing songs, right? We do this little nativity. In fact, we had a nativity scene out there with the animals and some of our young people playing the roles of Joseph and Mary, and so Mary is really kind of centered, uh, central to part of the themes that we talk about here at Christmas time. So instead of ignoring Mary or going to the other side and venerating Mary, can we get an in-between uh, position here and say, what does the Scripture, what does God want us to know about this Mary and the role that she played in carrying this indescribable gift to you and to me. There's nothing inherently significant about Mary. Why did God choose her? Why did God choose her? I mean, think about this. There could not have been a shortage of young Jewish virgins in this region at this time. There are all kinds that God could have chosen. Why did God choose Mary? Well, we get an instance here. The first thing that Gabriel says to Mary is this. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You're highly favored. The Lord's with you. If you've been with us a couple of months now, you know we were preaching through a series in Joshua. And before Joshua leads the Israelites to go into the land of Canaan to defeat all their enemies, do you remember what God told uh, Joshua? He said, be strong, be courageous. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. And here Gabriel is telling Mary, the Lord your God is with you. You are highly favored. Now this, this phrase, highly favored, it, it means to show kindness to someone. It means uh, to show kindness to them with the implication of graciousness on the part of the one showing such kindness. So when we see that Mary's highly favored, what we shouldn't read into the text is that she's worthy of God's favor. What we see is that God comes down and says, Mary, I've decided to bless you you. Out of my grace, out of my kindness, I have been silent with my people for 400 years, but I'm about to talk real loud to them, and you're going to be the agent through which I'm going to do that. Blessed are you, Mary, because you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. He also says that in verse 30. Gabriel also says, uh, the angel, Gabriel, said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You know, that's, that's the theme of our salvation. Amazing grace. Amazing favor. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's what Mary's experiencing, this amazing grace, this amazing favor that's coming down to her in those moments. But she was startled by it. I mean, you can imagine, I don't know what she's doing there, you know, maybe baking some bread or doing something, folding her clothes. Who knows what she's doing? I don't know. All of a sudden, this voice, greetings, you are highly favored. Whoa, what's going on here? But she was startled. And the angel says, don't be afraid. God's grace is showing up to you right now through this message. So here we have Mary, and she's favored. None of us, including Mary, ever deserve favor. But there are some conditions that can make it possible that we could reject his favor. In fact, many of us reject his favor in the whole world every single day. What was it about Mary then that we could glean from this text 
about why the Lord was able to choose and, and, and also to use her. Well, first of all, we see that Mary was humble. Let's look again at, at Luke chapter 1, verses 48 and 52. It says here, when Mary's singing her song, the Magnificat in, in Latin, this, this, this song, it says, My soul glorifies the Lord, verse 46, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's showed up to me. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She was humbled. And I, I think that reflects the attitude of her heart, but I think it just reflects her circumstances. I mean, here she is. She's not mighty. She's not wise. She's not rich. She's not powerful, but yet God's showing up and saying, you're just the kind of person I can't wait to use for my glory. 1 Corinthians 1 says, not many wise, not many mighty, not many uh, powerful according to this world, but God chooses the lowly things to confound the wise. A virgin girl, this is how you're going to bring the Son of God into the world? She was humble. She was humble. It says in verse 52, as, as Mary is then just reflecting on how God works with people, uh, she says, He, being God, has brought down the rulers from their thrones, the ones that have all the power, brought them down from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. That's what God does. He lifts up the humble. Psalm 138, 6 says, Though the Lord is exalted, He looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Friend, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you think to yourself, what do I have to offer? Does God know what I've done? Does he know what I've been through? Does he know the lousy circumstances that I've grown up with? Friend, if you just admit your weakness and look to him, he says, I'll show you my favor. I will blow your mind with my grace. He loves to work in humble people. Proverbs 3, 33 to 34 say, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he's scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. To the humble he gives favor. Praise be to God. James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, they translate this verse this way. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, his favor to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Here's this young virgin girl. What did she have to offer? Not much, but God shows up and says, I'm going to show you my favor because I'm going to get great glory through you. This reminds me of the story in Daniel chapter 4. I wish we could go there. We don't have time today. But the story there is about King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is a great king. In fact, he's the, the mightiest man on the entire planet at this time. Uh, this is in the uh, 6th century B.C., so a long time ago. And there, uh, there's Nebuchadnezzar, and, uh, the ruler of the whole earth, and he thinks he's hot stuff. I mean, he's defeated all of his enemies. He's living in this beautiful palace. And uh, God shows up to him in a dream, and Daniel interprets his dream for him, and he doesn't heed the warning. So here's Nebuchadnezzar his chest puffed out, and he's walking around on the wall of his palace, and he's thinking, look at this great Babylon that I've built. Look at this empire that I've brought for myself. And in that moment, as he was arrogant and full of pride, God did something supernatural to him to humiliate him. He caused him to get down like an animal on all fours. He started to grow out hair like fur and feathers. His uh, nails grew out like claws, and 
The next thing you know, the king, the mightiest man on the planet, isn't sitting on his throne. He's out in the field eating grass like an animal. Just like the sheep we had out here last night at our, at our petting zoo. You imagine the king, the mightiest man on the planet, eating grass like an animal. He was humiliated. And when everybody, somebody came in from the outside, they said, where's the king? Where's Nebuchadnezzar? You don't want to know. He's covered in grass and moss and filth. Can't even talk to him. He's out there eating grass like an animal. And after seven years of this humiliation, the scriptures say that Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses. He stood up like a man and he said, I now know who is the true king of all the earth. He is a great God. He is a wonderful God. He is the one that has all power and might. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had to be humbled before he could be blessed by God. Are you here today full of yourself? Maybe you're here today with a bitter heart because you feel like you deserve better. I deserve better than this. Doesn't God know how good I've been? Doesn't he know how helpful I am, how loving I am? I deserve better. Nebuchadnezzar thought he deserved the whole world. And God made him crawl around like an animal. Maybe you're hurting here today. Maybe you realize that God has been bringing you low. Friend, there is hope in being brought low. Because when you turn your eyes to heaven and say, I want this great God and King, he says, I can bless a humble person. I can bless a humble person. There isn't any kind of poverty, lowliness that can keep you away from God's love when you come to him, just like Mary did, with humility, with humility. First thing we see about Mary is that she was humble. Secondly, Mary believed God's message. Again, Luke 1, 38 and 45, and we'll move a little quickly, quickly, quicker here. It says, uh, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, what word was that? The word was this. You're a virgin, but you're going to be conceiving of a child. And this child is going to be of the Holy Spirit. And, and this child is going to be called the Son of God. And this child is going to be the Savior of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when my wife came to me uh, with our three kids and told me, hey, we're having a child, it was awesome. I mean, it was great. I remember our second child, Benjamin, uh, when he was, when I found out he was coming, uh, our son Judah was about two years old, and he came to the door when I came home from work, and I opened the door, and he was, hey, Dad, and I was, this is awesome, right? And I, I looked at his shirt for a moment and it said, I'm going to be a big brother. I mean, isn't that fun? That's fun. And so when we find out that, that a child is coming, it's exciting. But think about the news of how this was delivered to Mary. I mean, you can think to yourself, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming. But she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Th this, is, this is amazing. It's almost beyond belief. But yet beyond belief, my heart believes. My heart believes. And we can contrast this with with Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, she had a husband. His name was Zechariah. And the angel Gabriel, earlier in Luke chapter 1, came, came to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, in your old age, you and Elizabeth are going to come together, and you're going to conceive and have a child, and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah said, yeah, right, how is this going to happen? Now, see, this is a different response. He's, he's saying, I, I don't know that I can believe this. And Gabriel says this, because of your unbelief, I'm going to shut your mouth until that day that boy comes. And when that boy came, 
Zechariah believed. They asked him, what's the boy's name? And he writes down, it's John. And in that moment, his mouth opened up and he said, I now believe because I've seen Mary believed without seeing. She believed on the front end. Her heart was full of faith and God calls her blessed. In John chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, Thomas, the doubter, he's hearing rumors. He's hearing messages. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he says, no way, can't be. I saw him die. No way that could happen unless I feel the wounds in his hands and in his side. There's no way I'm going to believe. And Jesus comes and says, boom, here I am, Thomas. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, he said, because you've seen me, you've believed. You had to see to believe. But listen to what Jesus' statement next is. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the faith of Mary. Some of you are here today and you may be thinking to yourself, how can I believe this message? Come on, I've never seen, I've never heard a voice. Come on, am I really supposed to believe this stuff? I've never seen an angel. I've never heard the voice of God. I've never seen him in my midst. Oh, friend, friend today, believe in the Christ who came, God in the flesh, rose from the dead, appeared to more than 500 friends all at a time. And we have that testimony today. And today, Jesus can say to you, blessed are you because you believed and have not seen. This is the kind of faith that God honors. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God without belief. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, that's a big word that we throw around at Christmas time. Just believe, right? Just believe. Believe in what? <laughs> Santa Claus? Magic? Believe uh, that peace on this earth can come when everything looks like it's broken and a mess? What am I supposed to believe in? And the message of Christmas, the message, the, the message that was delivered to Mary, this indescribable gift says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be blessed. You will receive this indescribable gift. Friend, today you can put your faith in Christ and receive all the blessings of this indescribable gift. Mary believed God's message. She was humble she believed, and thirdly, she obeyed and served God faithfully. Again, Luke chapter 1, verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. I am the Lord's servant. It also says it in verse 48, the Lord's been mindful of the humble state of his servant, his servant. Now, this kind of servant isn't a servant that just shows up when their shift starts and serves some tables for a while and clocks out when it's time to go home. Now, this is the description of a slave, someone who's in bond service to their master and says, whenever, however, whatever you ask me to do, I'm willing to obey. She says, the Lord has been mindful of his servant. And he's, she's telling Gabriel, Gabriel, I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know how it's all going to happen, but I'm here. I'm, I, you know I'm humble, Gabriel. I believe and I'm willing to do whatever the Lord is asking to do. I think she has a verse like Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13 in mind. When, when Moses uh, speaks to Israel, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? 
to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. That's all that God asks. Some of you are here today and say, you know what, this indescribable, I just don't know that I want to give up all my pleasure. Think about our Lord. What did he give up for us? What did he give up for you and for me? He left his throne in heaven, put on human flesh, walked among us, died as a criminal on a cross, though he did no wrong, gave up his life, gave it all up, everything for you and for me. And all he asks is just give me your heart, give me your devotion, give me your obedience and your love. Mary said, I, I'm his humble servant, I'm his slave. If he asks me to jump, I'll say, how I, I love this God. He's shown me favor. He's shown me favor. This is Mary. This is the Mary of the scriptures, not the Mary of the Roman Catholic Church, not the Mary of statues and nativity scenes, but the Mary of the scriptures, the mother of Jesus, the human agent through which God brought the God-man into the world, the, the one who delivered the indescribable gift in her womb for you, for me, and for her. She needed the Savior, friends, just like you need the Savior, just like I need the Savior. She believed, she was humble, and she obeyed. What obstacles are keeping you from receiving this indescribable gift today? What's keeping you from believing? What's keeping you from obeying the word? Consider the obstacles of Mary. First of all, the inability to conceive as a virgin. How am I supposed to, to conceive? But she believed that God had a plan. Think about this, this betrothal to Joseph. Maybe this is all going to get messed up now when he finds out that I'm pregnant and we've never been together, but God had a plan. He sent his angel to Joseph to say, don't worry, you can take care of her. She's remained faithful to you. Well, think about her reputation. Think about what everybody's going to think when she starts to show that she's pregnant. And everybody knows that Joseph and Mary have not consummated their marriage. Oh, the rumors. Oh, the slander. Oh, the, 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 everything that's going along with all of the, the, the innuendo of what's happening here. And she says, what is everybody going to think of me? What an obstacle that must have been. But she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. He calls me blessed. He's given me his favor. He's looked upon his humble servant. I don't know what anybody else is going to say about me, but I am staking my claim in the only reputation that matters, and that's the one that God is calling me blessed and favored. God, in his grace, chose Mary to bring the Savior uh, to the world. He used a woman of humility, faith, and obedience. What a special lady. What a special lady. In closing, I'd like to read Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 28. Luke 11, 27 to 28. Now, as, as Jesus is teaching, he's talking about how he's able to cast out demons, and he's refuting those that are accusing him of casting out demons in the name of Satan and all these different things, and, and he's winning every argument. And someone in the crowd that's listening is just amazed by him. And it says in Luke eleven twenty seven, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman, we don't know who it is, she cried out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. 
wow, that, that lady who's connected to you biologically and who raised you, man, props to her. She's amazing. Look at who she's raised here. That is amazing stuff. And at first glance, when we look at Mary, we think to ourselves, man, she's an amazing woman, right? What's Jesus' response to this? Jesus replied, Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus is saying there's no biological connect, connection that gives her any advantage. And it's not the fact that she raised me, but here's why you can respect and honor my mother. She was humble. She believed the word of God, and she obeyed it. Friends, that's not a description of someone that's any different than you and me. Mary was highly favored. Mary was blessed. But that same favor, that same blessing is offered to you and to me today when we hear the word of God and we obey it. Oh, friend, friend, let me tell you today, if you've never received the indescribable gift, today you hear the good news. Believe it, receive it, obey it, and you could be blessed and highly favored just like Mary. This is what we believe about the indescribable gift. This is why we say Mary was the first one to carry the gospel. And for those of us that are humble, those of us that believe, and those of us that obey, we carry that same gospel. And that news brings joy, sweet joy. Do you have joy today? Do you have peace? Do you have hope? God's favor is coming to you today. Will you humble yourself? Will you believe? And will you obey? Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of the scripture. We thank you for this encounter that we get to get a, a little bit of a, a snapshot on between Gabriel and Mary. I thank you, Father, that you chose not the wise, powerful, or mighty things of this world, but you chose a humble servant to accomplish your task. We thank you so much, Father, that uh, Mary doesn't have some special place that we can never gain. No, if we would humble ourselves like she did, if we believe the message that she believed, and if we would obey her, our Lord as she did, we can be blessed and highly favored. We thank you so much for this story today. Father, I pray for those that we know that are under the teaching and the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, and perhaps they're praying to Mary even now. I, I pray, Father, would you light their minds and their hearts to the truth of the Scripture? Would you save them, Father, and help them to see that the mediator, the only mediator that they need has come in Jesus Christ? And that they wouldn't worship the woman, but that they'd worship the Savior of this woman, our Savior, her Savior, this Jesus Christ, this indescribable gift. Thank you for him. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're commissioned to share this indescribable gift.